Today's episode is brought to you by Roaming Player Gear. Roaming Player Gear provides the tabletop community with interactive gaming components at a great value. They offer dice trays, dice towers, and more. What I love about them is the diversity of their products. They can be used for anything from Dungeons & Dragons to Warhammer 40k and everything in between. So, be sure to use the code ROAMING20 for 20% off your total purchase. And be sure to share pictures tagging both GotDM and the Bearded Nerd. Three, two, one. Bro, we're live. Ray, how you doing, my man? What's up? How's it going, everybody? It's GotDM. Dude, I I am doing really well. I I can't complain, man. It's good uh good to have you on the show finally, man. I know we've been trying to schedule this for a while. Oh man, I'm just I'm just glad to be here. You know what I mean? I know we've been talking about this and it's it's finally to a point where it's like, you know, the world's a little bit crazy right now, but we're here just kind of moving on and kind of getting getting by and trying to do our best. So I'm just glad to see your smiling face, man. So. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it, bro- boss, but um you know, for the folks out there that are listening, you have seen this man before. He is Ray uh, Got DM, as the folks on the interwebs would know him by. Um, man, you have you've been playing in a bunch of one shots. You've um, you you do a lot of great things, but I think something that a lot of people, if not everyone, knows you by is your crafting and your terrain builds, dude. You knock this stuff out of the park. Like you build some stuff that I'm just like, holy crap! Like how like how do you even get there so my first question that i want to ask you man is like when did you start playing but more importantly when did you start crafting so oh let's see it's been at least 26 years and i got to tell you it's going to get to the point where i'm going to stop counting um most <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like it's like rings on a tree only you're just like levels or decades of like craziness and crazy stories so i mean I think that's in first and foremost. Um, it's been a very long time. I had my first start since in first edition and I kind of deetered on a second edition and kind of trailed on from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the crafting side, let's see. I was playing D&D for at least a year before we started crafting. And I started off as a crafter because I was doing stuff for like Warhammer, mm-hmm. uh, fantasy battles. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. we were always building, you know, forests, trees and stuff. And, and when I say forests and trees, uh, only by definition, because it definitely didn't look like a tree. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. It happens, bro. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's what it was, is that at the end, when we first started, you know, I was telling this on, on, a, on an interview I was in where I was like, I took a styrofoam piece. I spray painted it with brown and knew that we didn't know that the paint was going to melt the foam. It did. And then we just took like evergreen bushes we had outside and uh-huh. just jabbed them into the styrofoam and called it a forest. So it wasn't like, you know what I mean? It wasn't like these illustrious things we were adding yeah. texture and that, you know, that took time. So. You, kinda, you start, you, you, everyone starts somewhere, man. And it's like, you, you kind of paved the way for crafters because you just did what you thought, right. You know, that back, you know, back in first and second edition, man, it was, you know, all, it was all that miniature wargaming. So the miniature wargaming terrain out there was, and correct me if I'm wrong, man, it was mostly for, which again, it it could be used for like, you know, Warhammer, it could be used mm-hmm. for D&D, but a lot of it was like replica, um, you know, modern. Or, yeah, it, it, it was, and it oh my wasn't gosh. really 
it wasn't really at scale in some, no. or some companies weren't making the scales. I would even say there weren't a lot of companies because even the minis were very, very, very limited. I mean, you, you had some of them that were well-known, you know, it's, it's like the pewter pieces you got from D and D, yep. but I would say even then from, from building terrain, you know, I started off in the mid nineties where, I mean, let's call it what it is. There wasn't a lot of resources to how to build terrain specifically for D and D. You know what I mean? Like it was, you had some miniature war games and you had people that were doing like Napoleon style. So, yep. you know, building, building houses or building things that had intricate little, little details was great. But if you were like, how to build a dragon lair, nothing, you know, nothing. Or, or what is a, a, a bullet or whatever, you know what I mean? Like any reference <laughs> to their layers or how did that work? Yep. There just wasn't anything other than what you were willing to find yourself, um, which wasn't a lot. Yeah. And, and you, you bring up a good point too. Like, you know, you're talking early mid nineties as well, where the whole, if I, I would even say for most people, depending on the region in the world or in, in the country that you're living in, man, it, you may have had a little bit of that, you know, shockwave from the satanic panic. So there definitely wasn't anything oh, yeah. out there saying, Hey, you know, how do I build a, a dragon's lair for Dungeons and Dragons? There really wasn't a lot of that. There really, no. and, and, and I think I would even go to say that if there was that information, it would be few and far between because one, you'd have to travel to a comic book shop or a game store to talk to your friends or to folks at, you know, patrons of that location who would frequent that location, right? And that they would, it would be that knowledge share where they would come together, say, hey, look, look, this is what I built, if they even built it. Because again, we're assuming that they were building stuff on their own. Um, but getting that information, getting that intel is, you know, it's hella hard to say the, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, was, I was reminding a couple of my friends the other day, I was telling them, I mean, like we, were, we would watch, we would read White Dwarf Magazine, and in the back of the magazine, it would show you examples on how to make terrain. And I, mean, I think that was like a lot of different people's first foray into like how to make ruins because they would tell you to get like the Warhammer kits, break up the styrofoam, you know what I mean? And, and then put okay. paint on it and show you how to dry brush it. But it wasn't this like, oh, this is gonna have a swinging door or this is having an LED attached to it. I mean, it was really bare bones. Yeah, I remember the first, uh, the, the first bushes I made um, was using like a green scowl pad. You know what I mean? Like that's, okay. yeah, yeah. So, but your the other point I wanted to make was that you're right. You would go to your friendly local gaming center and there'd probably be, you know, or, or shop and there'd probably be one or two people that knew how to make terrain. And mm-hmm. they, they either proliferated that information or the game store was wise enough to have them commissioned to build things and make it available for them in the store. You know, yeah. it was, it was really cool to see that. Or you just did what a lot of us did was try to see if there was a, a Warhammer game. And after they got done, we would ask to see if we could borrow their terrain. So <laughs> true. That's very true. You know, yeah. I, I, and it's one of the, that's just normal though. That was normal back yeah. in the day. Um, yeah. yeah, I know. I remember, I, I mean, I, I think everyone did this at one point. Legos were the, were the go-to if you didn't have anything. Because, oh, you know, yeah. at least like, as kids, um, at least my friends or my friend group, you know, we were playing quote unquote Dungeons and Dragons. It was a hodgepodge of different Mm -hmm. shit, you know, part of the language for the folks listening, but it really was, 
it was a hodgepodge of stuff and we, you know, we rolled some dice, but we, we used Legos for terrain. We used, yeah. you know, if, if we didn't have any type of like fantasy miniatures, I mean, yeah. we used green plastic army soldiers and, oh. all, you know, we used all that. We used whatever we could. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was, I, mean, I, 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 I got to tell you the first, uh, the first official board we used, and this was again, back in school, we didn't do, we didn't do a lot of visual representation, a lot of theater of the mind. Mm-hmm. played in the ditch and had one set of dice for 11 players. So I already was DMing large groups to begin with, just because we had so many friends that wanted to play D&D. But even when we went to a visual representation, I remember this day like it was yesterday. We took graph paper, mm-hmm. we taped it to a big giant plywood, and then we took like, you know, those old, uh, old style, like clear glass, acry- like glass acrylic pieces, and yeah. plastered that on top of it so we could use a grease pencil. To, to draw our map. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until I was sick and tired of wiping away the grease pencil from the lid that I was like, there's gotta be a better way to do this. Mm-hmm. And I went to my game, I was playing Warhammer already. So I was like, what if we just, and I would put terrain on top of the grid. And at that point we were just like, okay, now we just need to build it. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was, yeah, it was really cool. I know at one time we had we had lots of players playing D and I think that's you know having DM for large groups. But I think the most important part was, you know, when we were crafting things, I always had the people to give me feedback because I always built for my players. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and so that. and that's all. And you mentioned that you've been you know you've had that player feedback, which is awesome because the more feedback, the better. And you also mentioned that you had large groups and you've been pretty much DMing. Have you been more, have you been kind of the eternal DM in your group or? I would say out of my years of experience, I've only been a player now. I'm going to say maybe a total of nine, 10 hours now total. I mean, as a player. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't been a player for a very long time, but as a DM, I'm forever DM. And I'm actually one of the people that are first to admit at least, uh, I love being a forever DM. Like yeah, I, I hear that. Get me behind a DM screen at any time. Like if you want to run an impromptu game, like that's what excites me. Yeah, um, I feel that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think for me, it was the allure for being a DM was telling stories of other players, but also, you know, it's, it's creative storytelling. You get, you get to deal with more than just one player. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of, we run a sandbox game. So it's, you know, it's almost like you're, you're preparing this world for other players to join in, not necessarily experience your world. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's their stories told in your world as a backdrop. And I just, I absolutely fell in love with that. I definitely understand what you're talking about, man. And I think, and you know, I've joined the discord, which you and I have talked about multiple times uh, about character creation, world building and things <laughs> like that. Dude, how long have you, you've been playing in this world, you've been DMing, I'm assuming, for the amount of time that you've been playing, have you moved out of that world or has everything just been in that world? No, everything's been in that world. I, 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 don't, I don't move anything, everything's kept there. I, I catalog everything from the first time we played in that world to today. Um, yeah, I just, I have little notebooks I've done as a kid, you know what I mean? Like when anything just yeah. came up, I would write these little things down. So I've got notes that I've had in you know seventh grade I mean it's it's things like that like it's just when players are in our world they go into places and they they meet these characters 
Uh, or if they, they get these items, I get to hand them a note I made when I was young, very young. Dude. So yeah. you, so you've been, so y'all have been playing in this world for at least 20, 25 years. So I would say from there, I have players that uh, have started with me. Mm -hmm. um, they had taken a break and now they're back with me. But for the most part, the consistency has been with me and myself and the world. So the yeah. world itself, like it's one of those things where they know if they, they you know, if, if, if I'm DMing them a game, be it a one shot, be it this, like it always happens in my world. Yeah. So that's the one thing it's, it's I try to aim for consistency. Mm. And so we've had players that were like, yeah, this is a great game, but life comes up and they can't, you know, they can't fulfill their, their, or they, they want to step back a little bit. But I think the cool thing about it is at least every player that has at least stepped back once have mm -hmm. stepped back in at least twice. And I thought that was really cool. That, that's, that, that says a lot, man. That says that your world and, 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 and I'm, you know, my theory has been mm -hmm. your players and, you know, D and D players, tabletop gamers, mm -hmm. they don't want to just play in your world. They just want to play the game, right? So when you have players repeatedly and consistently coming back to your world, obviously life hands its own things and life is mm -hmm. life. But the fact that they've chosen to come back to your world is a big sign of not only respect, but it also shows that, excuse me, um, it shows that your world is captivating and that they make a difference in your world, which again, for the folks out there, when you are a world builder, that's one of your big things that you kind of want to make sure you do. You want to make sure that your players, um, whoever they may be, is able to interact in your world, but is also able to impact your world and take a little bit of ownership in that. So I would even say that last part is, is what I would at, at, after all the sessions I've held behind the screen, mm -hmm. one of the things I found is players want to go back to players that are engaged. Yep. And the DM can be consistent. And, and at this point, they, my players know that I'm the consistency in this. But um, when, when you look at other players at the table and they're engaged and they feel like they're adding things to your world, and they know their actions actually either have consequence or, or, or positive outcome, your players will keep coming back. And mm -hmm. there's a part in it, because I remember one time someone was asking me, they were saying, you know, is it because your world is developed? Is it because of this? Is it because, you know, you have a, you have, you, you have a secret sauce and all this? And I said, the only secret sauce I have are players that want to be here. Yeah. And that's the, that's the thing is, is, you know, regardless of what story you tell, you, you focus it on your players, regardless of what terrain you build, you build it for your players because yep. at the end of the day, that's who you're, you're I don't want to say entertaining, but that's who you're, you're, that is the partner in the story you're creating. Mm. So that's how I look at it. I mean, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a great adventure because, you know, I'll, I'll give a good example. I've got a couple of friends that, you know, they played in that ditch with us when we were younger and now have come back and have been in the game for at least three, four years now. That's awesome. So it's, oh yeah. So, and they remember storylines. This is the part that I find really cool is that they remember storylines we used to run back when we were young and now they're getting revised, particularly because there are actions of the players. Oh. So, it's, oh yeah. Like we're able to continue storylines. Like we've got plot lines that are that old that are still in play. So it's been a huge development for us. But I think the coolest thing at the end of the day though is we have accepted new gamers coming in 
they're coming in and our world has been able to, I would say, not say survive, but thrive with all these new players. Mm-hmm. So I love it. I absolutely love it. And, the, and, you know, you brought up the fact that your players are engaged and how because of that engagement, especially back when, you, you know, in the earlier years of the, of the world, let's say, players now are able to engage even further because of those actions, right? Every action has a consequence or, you know, whether positive or negative. Mm-hmm. And my question to you, which because I always love picking people's brains about this, is how do you kind of take that into consideration when let's say when a player does a particular thing whether it is a a big action or a minor one right Mm -hmm. how do you decide to say you know what this player's actions may have a consequence Mm -hmm. or this player's you know decision that they made mm, it may actually shift the thought process of a particular thing or object Sure, sure. There's two ways I'll go with this answer because I think both of them are, they, 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 they add to the conversation. The first one though is we have to understand our players can affect each other's games and stories. True, true. At any time. And this is how they do it. Uh, they'll give me actions they want to do, but I'm always a rule of consent DM. So I'll actually stop a session and I'll go, there is another party that wants to uh, uh, in one another party that wants to get involved in your story. The outcome can either be positive or negative. Do you allow it? And that's all I say. And so now the players have to consider. They're going, okay, who's here, or who would have interest in this? But again, if if the groups were always trying to, for the lack of a better term, screw each other over, then no one would accept these these interruptions. But the fact of the matter is, is you do have players that are trying to help one another and they won't, they they won't have the ability to interject or, 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 or evolve that uh, without the rule of consent. I think that's one of the most important things. Um, But it's really cool to say that because once you do it, you know, it's like, I don't want to get too, I don't want to get too belabored in the, in the, in stories, but I will say it's an amazing thing when you're at bleak standing you know, you think you're going to get overcome by this big, bad, evil monster. And the, the life-saving grace in this is another group comes in and they choose to also fight with you. And That's what that cool. means, yeah, what that means is I've probably told the group, hey, please be on standby because I'm going to make a phone call. And if the group accepts, your entire group is in this game. And I've got players that go, you know, how are you able to do this? We make the call. All of a sudden, our game goes from 10 players to 15. And here comes a new group. Oh, yeah, we've done that, you know. But I think the other part, and I think the other one is the more interesting answer, and it's this. Um, I don't tell them. I don't tell them that their actions will have a butterfly effect. They know that. They know that coming into this world. But it's in in the way you force them information because you never want to, I don't want to say world vomit, but you never just want to say, oh, there's this ton of information because what that'll do is that'll get the player to start metagaming and they'll go, I need to know all the information. Mm -hmm. And they're not playing their character, they're playing the circumstance, right? So, So what we try to do in that perspective, or at least me as a DM, what I like to try to do is I'll only feed them information or the answers of consequence in the session that they're in. Because it's just like us, you know, when things happen real world, we don't know that if, like hypothetically saying, like if I said, you know, 
hey, I'm not going to plant this seed and then, or, or plant this tree. And then all of a sudden this tree bears the most amazing fruit in the world. I don't know that. Yeah. So a player shouldn't know that, you know, if they don't answer to this specific situation, that there, uh, how can I say this, that there will be a ripple effect. But also I would even say this, in order to prevent any kind of railroading factor, don't have an answer ready. Never have an answer ready. In fact, if, if, the, if, the, if the, the, the player says, you know, did my action have a, a negative consequence for the other group, they'll never know. And that's the most important point. Those are extremely wise words because it's like real life. We all have free will, so to speak. And a decision that I make today, right, may positive or negative, you know, negatively affect me in the future. I don't know. And the same thing, I've noticed that a lot of great games that have longevity, but also have mm -hmm. uh, consistency and the most important have depth are the ones that take the game and they, they honestly bring the, the elements of real life. Like you sure. said, if your player, if it, you know, when you make that phone call and your players say, we want to help this group, we want to, we want to, you know, fight alongside them, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. They don't know what those consequences will be, but they chose as a group, to go and fight alongside allies or fight alongside friends or whatever the case may be. Yeah. And I absolutely. think, I think that's a really cool. Yeah. We had a situation. I mean, I don't want to take too much time, so I'll keep it short, but no, you're good. We have all the time, brother. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I, we had a situation where the players were fighting a very big, I mean, a very difficult monster mm -hmm. and they thought they were about to TPK and you know, we're at, Last slots, spell slots, we're at dire hit Ooh. points, no healing potions. They're backed up against a wall. They go to a sewer, and before they're looking at the sewer, I go, there's another group that wants to intervene. Do you allow them, yes or no? And they had to think. They were like, we, have no, we don't know what to do. Like, if this is either going to be TPK or, or, or we're going to give it one last shot. They accept it, and I give them this piece of paper because it says that the 13, we had a group of 13 players basically say, we're here to help you and get you out of this. And so what happens is they agree to it. The sewer opens up, these 13 players start coming out and they're just like, get in here. And that's how they get out of this predicament. And they all safely escape. You know what I mean? Wow. Like it's this, oh yeah. And after that, they were just like, the players were looking at each other because it was the first time another group wanted to intervene. So you had a, a group of players that had, you know, for the most part played just traditional D&D &D, mm -hmm. and they were like, I don't know what this metric is, but it just saved our ass. Yeah, I'm for just, sure. Oh yeah. And I just looked at him. I said, this is what this kingdom wanted to do to help you out. They wrote it down and told me this is, and if this happens, please do this. And you guys accepted. Now, if they had not accepted it, I don't know what would have happened. And I think that's the other part about realism here is you never give them that answer. For sure. But, oh yeah. You, you yeah. keep that, you keep that ace close yeah. to your chest. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Like, it's 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 suspension of or disbelief you know you, you don't want to you don't want to gamify it too much but on the other hand to that there's magic happening when it's the players truly believe and know that they can affect your world you absolutely. know and i, I think that's, they, they can though that's the thing yeah, oh, yeah. yeah oh yeah i am yeah. of the thought i i am of the philosophy so to speak that anything a player does in the world can affect so yeah. you know along the, those notes 
my original group, they had created, you know, they, they was their first time playing mm -hmm. and they didn't really know what they wanted to do or be. So they, you know, kind of created characters that they wanted and thought were cool. Mm -hmm. They go, and we, we, we've been at this time, we've been playing for about two years consistently, like, you know, either every week or biweekly, just consistently playing. And it got to a place where in my home world or the home brew world of Ecopia, mm -hmm. they came into this town of Garceau. As you can tell by the name, it's very French. It's <laughs> that French European. Um, and again, part of that continent is very Western European um, in nature with a lot of like Athenian Greek influence in the sense of like their philosophy. And the players actually rose against the, what actually turned out to be the overlord of Garceau because they were a vampire lord in disguise. They had basically not only infiltrated, but kind of sought out asylum as, and became a leader and a, and a politician and all this other uh, interesting stuff to really hide from another vampire lord that in the hierarchy was, you know, stronger, wittier, all, all that stuff, right? And they dethroned that area, or they, you know, they took this, they removed this person from power. Now, there was a break. There was about six months to a year break, just because we all, we all work crazy hours at the same company. So um, although we would play and we would do all these great things. What would happen is that it was like, okay, let's just kind of do a, a bit of a, a start, uh, you know, start over, which was great because they didn't know that the decisions that they made had mm -hmm. ripple effects until later on. One of the quests was like, hey, you are these adventures that we're hiring out or hiring, excuse me, to mm -hmm. look at you know, to investigate something that went on in the city of Garceau, these yeah. people, these random people just dethroned. And they, I remember the look, they all looked at each other and said, holy crap. <laughs> we are now investigating ourselves. And yeah. I actually made them role play the two different groups of saying, okay, what? So it was almost like playing, they're playing chess with one another. Nice. Nice. And that's the beauty of long-term games is that we're able to kind of, and again, I say long-term kind of loosely because long-term could be five years, but sure. in my opinion, long-term is kind of that permanent game. You're always in that world. And as a world builder, as a storyteller, you know, everything in between, but I mean, I identify as a world builder and as a, at least as in my role as a dungeon master, that's why I love being a dungeon master. Kind of like you said, I would rather be behind the screen than as a player because what I love about Dungeons and Dragons is the world building. So when you have a world that you're consistently playing in, I feel like as a world builder, that's your goal. That is your almost objective, right? That's the objective is to be able to tell stories continuously in a world that you've built for yourself. So that, you know, in the future, yeah, you can always, you know, you can always play in modules. That's fine. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, sure. sure. Absolutely. You know, I personally have a system in which I incorporate modules into my world from like a Planescape perspective, right? So and I think that's perfect. I mean, just like you had mentioned, you know, it's, it's 
what is a what is a homebrew DM or or how is a you know if you're working on modules do you do you, are you at somewhat of a a deficiency or if you have a five year campaign versus a twenty year campaign and I'd say no either way you know what I mean it's it's the mm -hmm. only commonality and with that is engagement you know as long as you're engaging your players you could write an adventure on a bar napkin you know what I mean like sure. it's, 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 I, I used to remember saying this to a lot of people you know does does everybody remember curse of strahd when you're running or, or strahd alone when you were running ravenloft when it first yeah. came out a lot of people go no or i don't remember you know it's but if you ask about the first time they were hanging out in a tavern everybody knows that you know what I mean? yeah. absolutely <laughs> yeah and, and, and I think, yeah go ahead no 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 go for it boss yeah i think that's the that was the, the thing for me was that it was just like you know there were so many modules there was White Plume Mountain. You talk about some of the most inspirational Tuma horrors. I mean, yep. there was there was a ton of stuff. And <clears throat> I remember one time somebody was coming up to me and they were like, you know, oh, do you do you have a preference for using modules? Do you not use them at all? And I said, every module I've ever read, I may have never played it, but their fingerprint is definitely in this world somewhere. You know, and it's because hmm. we're we're constantly as world builders. You know, I'm not saying there's not an original thought out there. I am saying that art around us tends to inspire the creator. So it's it's you're going to find things that you love, be it the 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 hold fast of the Rohirrim or the you know the way that uh, the spice reacts in Dune. You're you're going to find some kind of form of it. You know what I mean? And I yep. I think though that's that's where the the creator comes in because. It's in that way they implement those changes. You can have a lot of commonalities. It's just the way how you tell the story. And so. you brought up something really, uh, really important that, you know, the people in the back need to hear, as they say, that art inspires one another. So yeah. anything that you've done in your game or you've said in your game, just like mm -hmm. in my game, may have come from other places. And it's not that we've stolen it or anything like that. No, it is. It you know, when you actually admire something, and again, you mentioned Dune, you mentioned Lord of the Rings, two great <laughs> stories, yeah. to be yeah. honest with you. So two of the, I would highly recommend, those are probably two of the best books that you can read from not only a story perspective, but from a world building perspective. Um, to see how the authors created that, those mythos, right? And though, mm -hmm. and that setting, it's something that I know I've done before. I've in my, you know, DM notes, my little DM binder, so to speak, mm -hmm. the elves in my world are very similar to that of um, Middle Earth. They, oh, sure. Because that's what inspired me. Now, are they all good? No, because just like, you know, we said earlier in a realistic uh know society but also in a realistic game mm -hmm. some people are going to be bad some people are going to be good most sure. people are going to be neutral though sure i mean and i would i would say even then rarely is it ever i don't know for me that's in my world rarely is it ever the the mustached villain more than its intentions that just end up bad you know it's Absolutely. it's yeah it, it's it's like saying you know a, a good example of this in our world was that we had the players that were like I, we, we want to destroy a king. And once the king was gone, well, all the support systems that were in place to support the homesteads were gone. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden these homesteads, like all your hometown heroes were like, we need to go to the capital because what's going on here? We're not getting food. We're not getting supplies. Like it's getting bleak out here. Yeah. And you know what I mean? And all of a sudden the players go, 
what have we done? Like you've, you've, you've may have gotten rid of one tyrant, but at the, at the sacrifice of all of these homesteads that no longer have the systems in place to get them food, supplies, rations. Mm-hmm. And it's not like that stuff can be, you know, especially in a, well, depending on your setting, you know, if it's a medieval style setting, you're not, you're not sending a, emails to 50 different food distribution centers to get that ready in case of a collapse a catastrophe you know yeah yeah you're not yeah yeah not sending a raven out there and saying well i hope they get this right right but i mean you brought up another good point which was you know having i i do love that that feeling where it's like you'll find inspiration in everything when it comes down to like what your world is, right? Mm-hmm. Like the way the world treats each other, real world and indifferent, you know, but I, I would even say for us at least, I draw a ton of inspiration on, you know, modern day what's going on throughout the world. For you sure. Know what I mean, like the way, way that helps in play, the way that's, because I, I feel like it's, it's part of a conversation. And I think when you weave it into your story or better yet your players see it, you know, it's a safe environment where you can express how to work through those issues. Um, we do a lot of that, but I think also the one story I wanted to tell you that was actually quite funny was Game of Thrones for the most part was released in the nineties, right? Yeah. Like, this was in the nineties. There were so many, I would say Cal Drogos and like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like different kind of civilizations. But when it got, because nobody knew it was going to get popular, you know what I mean? So people were taking it left and right. And my funny part about it is like when you get to, you know, people are world building right now and they're playing in your world and they're just going like, oh, so, you know, that thing in the early 90s where you had that Cal Drogo that wasn't inspired by Game of Thrones. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they're just like, you got caught 20 years later, you know? <laughs> Whoops. Whoopsie. Whoopsie. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think that's it, right? Like, if, if you enjoy the stories, if you enjoy the way the, 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 the effect was in the story, why not add it into your own, you know? So, well, I don't see a problem. You know, I, I mean, I had, a, I had a player that named his, um, named their elf uh, fighter or elf ranger Elrond. Sure. That, and I mean, just because they loved Lord of the Rings and they loved, we actually all used to joke around that because um, again, they're first time first time players, and they they said, you know what, Brian? I think after this session, you've earned your your second R. Kind of like JR, like you know, the great story writers have J.R.R. Tolkien, George R. R. Martin. I was like, oh dang, I need a I need to change my name and have like two R's in there. That's gonna guarantee a spot as a as the great world builder. But you know, and I obviously I kid, but. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's what you like. At the end of the day, it's play what yeah. you like. Play it's, it's exactly that. It, your world is so unique. It's a fingerprint. And I remember one time hearing people, they were like, oh, what makes this world better than that world? And I was like, it's context. Because you look at it and go, I understand a region specifically based off of broad strokes with a brush. Mm-hmm. But when you're experiencing a world through a DM's perspective, particularly one that has real gauged interest in doing this, not say real gauged interest, but, but there's, there's a passion beyond just coming to the table. Yeah. You're going to get into stories that are so personal, so lasting, that may have so great examples of like heroism, of fear, of this. But the only way to do that is to sit there in a chair, not necessarily read it off of cliff notes. So it's, you know, that's, that's how I look at it, where 
everybody was always asking me, you know, what's the secret sauce? What makes your world better? And I'm going to tell somebody flat out, my world isn't better than yours. But I will say that at any time, would you like to experience my world? I will always have a chair open for anybody who'd like to sit there. And I, I actually have to say that is true because even before the podcast, you know, before you've come onto the show, I mean, like I said, I've been on your discord and you've, you've, you know, you've invited me to play at, at your table, which I'm more than, more than willing to accept and say yes to, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, because it's one of those things that that's what the community is about anyway, like that, you know, your world's not better than mine and, and vice versa. It shouldn't be at the end of the day, <laughs> like you should, you know, on the contrary, I would even say that as world builders, we get excited when playing in other people's game because one we get to play so that's always a treat right you know even though i love to dm i you know it's a treat to play every now and then but we get to experience what others have done and then it inspires you to go home and start writing you know what i mean like i know for myself like when i played in a couple of homebrew uh, you know, homebrew campaigns. Uh, one actually, when I when I first started playing uh, Fifth Edition, actually, that's how it got me back into Fifth Edition, into Dungeons and Dragons, because I played in a homebrew, and oh, wow. we were so the story. You know, his name was Stephen, a great dungeon master. He was actually converting his world into a book series. Which, whenever that gets published, like. I, I will try to buy as many copies as possible to give it to people just because it's that good. Like oh, it's nice. That good where what we did though is that we played as like the crime syndicate. So it was, it was a very different approach than I used to play. Right. Mm. Um, of playing that kind of chaotic neutral or lawful good or whatever type, you know, quote unquote alignment of mm -hmm adventure like we're gonna go save the princess and mm. although that's you know that's that's fun we played the crime syndicate we played the 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 folks that are you know we stole airships and then took the plans and then you know burnt the airships so that we would eliminate the competition and but we had the plans we had yeah. all, you know we we did all those type of like you know crime syndicate type things and pirates it was it was crazy it was awesome but it opened my eyes to see like oh man this is a cool opportunity yeah. that when you're playing with you know like you like you have multiple groups if i were to have multiple groups it gives me the ability to say oh who would be willing to play a crime syndicate right or a crime syndicate member so that uh, yeah. their decisions influence the other players who just want to play like you know the typical adventurer or hero sure. Sure. you know it'd be cool to see that dynamic. So, you know, the point of that is it is, it is a good thing to play in other people's game because you learn and you get inspired just like when you read or when you're, you know, going to a museum or when you're watching a movie or a TV show, whatever it may be, or, you know, whatever you mm -hmm. get inspired by that. You know, and I think that's a powerful thing to say is that, you know, you're, you're, when you have multiple groups, you're always looking for inspiration. You're always looking for ways to up your game and you're always looking for ways to, to make the, you know, make the drawback come back to the, or make the, how can I say, the need to come back to the table. Yep. And it's, it's, it's an interesting point because, you know, I'm, I'm constantly finding, at least when I first started this world and I started inviting a lot of people, my biggest challenge was that how do I keep the story engaged? And I would fight myself. 
I would fight myself because I was always feel like I had to make things bigger, better, higher CR, or, or better yet, you know, more difficult. But I realized something back in about, I'd say about 10 years ago, it had nothing to do with what I could write. Mm. All you had to do was put the options, the consequences and the outcomes in front of the players and realize that their own motivations will, will carry the story alone. Um, here's a good example of this. And, I, and I, I like to highlight this because it's a really good example. You have a group of players that want to kill the king. And I said mm. this in the earlier podcast, but I'll give you the context behind it. And, and uh, you know, they have set three months in motion. They're going, we're going to go in there and we're going to take this capital. But all of a sudden, they, a player comes in and joins their group because that's how this works. Any player can join them in another session. They, they join in. All of a sudden, they're a paladin. And they tell them, that, no, 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 no. I have to, you know, the players go, oh, you know, what's your objective here? And they say, I'm here to tell the message to the king that the homesteads are, are in trouble. And if we don't send help, things are going to get far worse. Mm. Now, a decision has to be made because the players can go, okay, we can not listen to this person and we can do exactly what we came here for, complete our objective, or two, you know, we can let this king live on and know that this king's probably done some horrible things in his past. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so what do you do? And that's the magic of the world because at that point you're going, let's say the players decide to take out the king. Mm-hmm. That paladin knows exactly who the big bad evil is. And it's, it's those players that came in with all the best of intentions. Correct. Or if they go, yeah, or if they go, no, we need to save this homestead. And they realize that opportunity to end their nightmare is going to slip through their hands purely based on this. Now, those are, 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 are consequences and outcomes that cannot be written by me. You know what I mean? Like those are yeah. things that you're just like, I, that was the secret to the world was I, I just gave it to the players as an option. And it was just an amazing thing because at that point I step back and I play referee versus having to write the biggest, the baddest, the biggest creature thing. I just let the players be the players. Yep. They interact. They naturally interact with one another and interact with the, mm-hmm. not only the world, but with the dilemma that is at hand, yeah. right? You know, yeah. th- there's in that, with, with that context, with that example that you've provided, they can either kill the king and yes. do what they think is right by them, right? They, it is the, it is the kind of the quintessential, let's overthrow this person. But the shockwaves, so to speak, the repercussions that happen of those homesteads not being fed now, Mm -hmm. because the homesteads are not being fed, people are dying. And because people are dying at such an alarming rate, now a bunch of other things like disease or Mm -hmm. vulnerabilities, such as, oh, one kingdom now that says, huh, we heard this king has just died or been killed. Let's take the opportunity to, you know, there's that there's cause and effect. Oh yeah. And yeah, it is, it's a beautiful ripple effect. And I think that's where, you know, just the, just the dovetail on that, you know, why wouldn't they send the person that's immune to disease, immune to this. But the best part about that is like, that's a PC, you know, like everybody that, and at least in our world, everybody that they interact with, you know, when you, when you interact with an NPC, you're going, oh, I'm going to use a persuasion check. But in our world, you know, it's like, oh, I want to make sure that this person understands what I'm trying to say. Yeah, there's no persuasion check. That is a real person. Here is their, their handle. Go negotiate. You know what I mean? And it's really, like, oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah. That's so could you talk thing. a little bit about some of those homebrew rules? So is yeah. there, are there any NPCs? So there are NPCs, but like, here's a good example. For the most part, if there is an NPC, like let's say a player was in a situation where it's like, they know they're talking to another PC, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's not going to be a situation where they're like, I'm going to roll a persuasion check and let's see if they believe what I said. I it's go, not no, like no, dice no. rolls against each other. It's, I will tell you there are games that we've done that there's probably one or two dice rolls, if that. Really? Because a lot of it is conversational, a lot of it is role play. You know, when we do go into combat, yes, we do bring out the dice, but it's yeah, for, for the sure. most part, yeah, for the most part of it, it's it's you know, if they're going to negotiate a better deal with the innkeeper, and if the innkeeper is a true, you know, if it is a player, because a player has decided my arc is I want to create a a world or a a shop where players can buy curios, you know, they're not gonna try to get a good deal purely based on a dice roll. It's, it's going, no, 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 no. You're going to talk to this person named, you know, his name is characters, Mervin, but his real name is Gavin. You're going to talk to Gavin. I'm going to give you his DM uh -huh. and let me know what the effect of that is. So that's what that is. It's, it's, it's no longer, you know, players can't just relate to a dice roll. They, they've got to use real world influences and information to their advantage. Um, See that when I hear that, I think yeah. to myself, like, first and foremost, that's amazing. Yeah. Because that type of concept, you will, you're taking a lot of the interactions from yeah. just dungeon master to player and mm -hmm. now creating player to player interactions. Which 100%. It, that's part of the storytelling aspect. You know, this is, this is a collaborative storytelling game. So it's not saying that you're not collaborating with them, you know, as much, but on the contrary, you, well, you're giving, you're almost, you're almost making a tabletop MMORPG at the bit. So at the I, end. I will at least explain my, my good friend, uh, my good friend Keith said this one time, he's like, it's adult D&D, like kind of one of those situations that I Absolutely. laugh about. Yeah, I laugh about it because, you know, here's a good example. When I, when I first, an example, but just what I'm going to share, it's uh, <clears throat> the first thing I was looking at was I really gave my players the keys to the car. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I, I want you to interact. I want you to do this. I got real comfortable knowing that stuff is going to happen in the background when I'm not at the table because that's character development. And yeah. there are tons of characters right now, as we speak, that are on, on Discord right now, like having those character interactions, discussing what's the next plan if, and, and maybe, you know, doing a little espionage while they're, while they're doing that. Mm -hmm. But that's, that was exactly the experience I wanted to bring with Evermore, which was, you know, players have their own expectations, their own personal guises. And in fact, if, if you had a group of players that were like, you know, I, we're gonna go. We're gonna go ransack uh, a, a dungeon, and a player goes, "Yeah, no, that's not gonna happen." They could leave. In yeah. a real world scenario, they would leave, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, I just had a player leave my group." But in our world, they leave and they join other groups. Mm -hmm. So it's it's exactly that. But it's they also know that as players join other groups, it changes the story. It yeah. completely changes their story. Um, I would even say Evermore, the way we've, we've, I've designed it, uh, at least the experience that I've tried to design in all this, was I wanted the stories to be extremely personal, 
but I also wanted them to realize that as individuals to come together and weave a story, everybody had to give a damn. Everybody did. And if, if you're looking for that, you know, that, that kind of experience, because here's a good example of this. You can always be wary of it. Like, you know, Oh, with, you know, if a player can just go outrageous and cause these out of boundaries actions. Um, but no, you're a DM, you know how to regulate that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know that. So as, 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 uh, as at least the DM for this world, we were always trying to set it up where we can get the personal experiences in front of the players and allow them to share. It's a lot easier. And you, you mentioned it. It's a lot easier to regulate those kind of logistics of, you know, not only combat, I think combat would probably be the easiest, but it's, it's easier to regulate those. Oh, you know, this person doesn't want to be in the game anymore, or they're, you know, being a jerk, whatever it may be. Okay. We can regulate that, but you can't regulate and or force that player involvement. Sure. And I think that's the other one too, is we had players that were like, Oh, you know, we, we, we definitely had the questions and the challenge situations. And I, I had a player say, Oh, well, what if I brought gunpowder into the game, which in certain regions of our world, gunpowder is a thing. But they said, you know, what if I brought gunpowder into, into this fight? And I said, okay, let me look at these rules real quick. And if you had a, a league of monks that were able to grab that missile and turn it around and throw it, I'm like, you now have monks that can throw bullets. I don't know if you want to bring that into this world. And they said, they're looking at me going, huh, like it would be a modification, but let's see. You know what I mean? It was, it was a really cool conversation to have. But what it entitled to was that they knew and understand that everything has a ripple. So mm -hmm. if, if you brought gunpowder, understand that they would probably do things like wait till it rains to attack you. Or, you know what I mean? Like wait till under cover of darkness and use more, use more, um, how can I say this? Like guerrilla tactics. I mean, yeah. it's, there's so many ways to do this, but ah, I can speak about this all day, but that's the part I love about it is like your players know that what they do means something. And I love that. And I think that's, I think that's something that every dungeon master, every game master, depending mm -hmm. on, you know, whatever system you run, you need to keep in the forefront. Like that is your goal. Like, yes, build a story and build a world. I, I would say that, I, I want, I would, I would say that the world building crown, so to speak, yeah, it falls on the dungeon master's head, but it also falls on the player's heads, right? And on their shoulders, but they can't do that unless you create that environment and you allow them to do those things and you let them, you know, express themselves in that way. So it's almost like you can't even go to step C until you actually take the first step on step A. So something you mentioned, and it's been, you know, kind of stuck in my head about how you have these player interactions and all these, you know, different players and different groups, you know, talking together and communicating. Yep. Do you have a team of people that you rely on, especially like, let's say if you're using discord, right. Mm -hmm. um, that are talking to each other, you know, kind of, going you know you know kind of moderating these things or is it always just you so for the most part it's it's uh, i've got two well i've got i've got two admins on our discord um my friend uh, tony and uh and Molly, that they are they are the brain children of the discord i would say that's the, the brain of the discord itself 
Okay. Um, but I would say from a, you know, checking things and all this other stuff. The other part about this is I do read it. I do read it. Um, but I would even say beyond that, the players keep each other in check. Oh, nice. Because here's the deal. When you have, you know, 20, 30, 40, hell, even 100 players involved in this thing, everybody is invested. And if, I mean, you know, what's to prevent all-out war? Well, the fact of the matter is, is if somebody goes off tangent, there are 99 other people in that room that are going to make sure that this doesn't go out of weirdness. You know what I mean? Sure. It's, it's, it's exactly that. The way we, I, at least the way I, I was always hoping this interaction would be, is that the players can always play to their interests. I guess that's the best mm -hmm. way to do it. If they wanted to, you know, if they wanted to run around and do craziness for, for three and a half hours, let them do it. You know, if they wanted to be professional assassins, sure. But the minute those actions started to affect other PCs in game, the world would always react in kind. So you were, so you said, you know, or we had a little bit of technical difficulties, y'all. So you said that, that you have a, you know, basically like an admin team, a duo yes. who really, they really do a great job with running your discord, which for the folks out there, you know, that if you're going to have a long-term game like this and a big game, like discord, mm -hmm. any of that type of communication stuff is going to be key, but you're yeah. really the, I think the most important thing is that you have player accountability and that yes. player accountability is really important when you're trying to have a cohesive world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's the, there's that aspect of it entirely. You know what I mean? Like, Everybody wants to make sure that it is a place they'd like to come back to. So the other part about this too is that like you, you really have to be on point to stomp out metagame. I think that's the yeah. that's the, the thing that you have to go in there because that's what breaks the suspension of disbelief, you know, the, the whole suspension of disbelief. So it's 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 that. But I think secondarily that if you have players that are going, you know, they're gonna police it themselves, they wanna make the place enjoyable. If, if another player goes rogue, the world always reacts. Yes. Because so, we've had it where we'll, I mean, we just got over a three-year in real life world war. Like, well, not wow. world war, but like a, a, a player to player war that started out. You know what I mean? It, it's, we just finished it and I'm going, wow, I just, I have, it, it's not in me anymore to run that kind of session. I was just, it beat me up, but it was a fun thing to experience that the players kept it in check mm -hmm. end of the story. You know what I mean? And it's, it's this part of the year. Like we've, this is this, we've started a, a, how can I say this? I've really started a way where it was just trusting your players and knowing that they would create a story they'd all would want to be part of. And as a DM, I just assume, I, I've always explained that, that my, our world, is just another player at the table. Yeah. So that can also come into it. You know what I mean? So. And, and you bring up a good point. And, and my, my, actually one of my last questions that I have for you is for the folks out there listening who are saying, okay, like, yeah, my goal is to have that, you know, mm -hmm. consistent play through that long-term, that long period or long standing, you know, game, but I don't even know where to start for mm -hmm. those folks out there what would you say is something that, you know, to, to keep consistent in writing or in sure. uh, DMing, whatever that may be? Sure. I would say don't aim for it. 
Okay. And truly, don't aim for it. And the reason why I'm saying don't aim for it because you're going to set the biggest expectation in front of you that you have to write every massive thing. But the reality of this is, is let it happen organically. Mm. Um, you have to, it's almost like, I, I, it's what I've kind of told my players is that, you know, them being in the game, they are very important to it. But I'm going to be playing this game until I can't anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, that's, that's when the world truly, really ends is the day I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm like, all right, well, I can't play anymore. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to run my world. But I think it, I, I would never put it where it's like, I want to have a 15, 20 year campaign because you're going to set that expectation. But the magic happens really when it just happens. Yeah, organically, holistically. happens organically. Like it's, it's, it's you're, you're looking at things, you're, you're setting stories really well, your players enjoy coming back to the table. Um, and I think if I'm going to give one piece of advice how to, how to, how to make that happen is constantly check with your players on the type of game they want mm -hmm. not the type of game they need the type of game they want and, I, and the reason i'm saying that too is that you're not going to give them 100 percent, but you want to get their feedback because it's it's you know if you're if you're always in combat and your players are like i really don't like combat or if you're always heavy rp and your players are like i really don't enjoy heavy rp you, you want to do something along the lines that checks and this is what i usually do i do a session zero Mm -hmm. I do another session zero, like a recalibration, you know, six months into the campaign. And then every year we do another calibration. Like it's, nice. it's usually some kind of way for me to look back and it may not be just a bold face. Hey, what do you like? It may be, I may switch up like a different adventure or I may do this, or I do one shots and realize that they really like heists. So, you know, things like that, that's, that's how I weave the interest into the game. So. And you know, I, I think that's, I think that's beautifully said. And I think that's fantastic because it really, it's so simple. And I think as, you know, it's just human nature and it's human tendencies. We tend to complicate it. We tend to overcomplicate things. Um, when in reality, like you said, you just, you just do it. You don't just, you don't think it, you know, it's like an Olympian that says, okay, I, I want you know, my goal is to be in the Olympics for, you know, and do this, 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 and that. And it's more of like, no, my goal is to, you know, do this thing for as long as I can and be the best at it because I absolutely love this sport or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with world building and storytelling, it's I do this thing because I love it and yeah. I thoroughly enjoy it. So if I can do this for, for as long as I'm allowed to, then I'm going to do it. Yeah, I mean, even when it came down to world building, it was, you know, world building is for the DM, truly. Mm -hmm. I, I personally believe that it's like, you know, your players can can touch the history, they can look into it, they can read it, they can... Yeah, they can it. collaborate, so to they speak. They can collaborate, but they'll never, you know, it, it's it's like saying, you know, it's only personal to them if they've, if they've, if they've been involved in it. Mm -hmm. But if you have 15 years of 15, 20 plus year, whatever years of history in front of this and the player has never been involved into it they're not going to get you know they're, they're never going to be that interested into it unless sure. yeah they've got to experience it absolutely and i don't know for me i've always kind of the dm i've always been involved in is that history is great but making history is even better you know it's it's you know leave the stories for the books but when you're in the game table you want to be epic let's set up epic you know what i mean that's that's how i've always looked at it Dude, that's beautifully said, man. I think I think that's a great place to 
to leave off. And, you know, Ray, I really thank you from the bottom of my heart being here, man. I, I, I truly respect you. You are my brother. You are my world building brother as well. Um, <laughs> cause you and I think a lot alike, man. And I, and I love to bounce those ideas from you, but again, I'm truly honored that you're here. Um, for the folks out there who want to follow you, man, where, where's the best place that they can follow you? Um, best place to find me is on Instagram. You can see it's under GOT or got DM, um, or roaming Uh, if you want to check that out, we've got our dice tower for sale there. And, uh, yeah, check out what we've got there. We put a lot of projects, um, we're going to be slowly integrating some of our, our, uh, our crafting projects on there for everybody okay. to enjoy. Um, but for the most part, yeah, come check out the website. We've got, our, we've got a lot of stuff to go on there. So It's really good stuff, man. And I, I want you to always come back uh, whenever you want, but I'd love for you to come back and talk about some of the gear that you're all are making. I mean, folks, this stuff is some good, good gear. And I'm not just saying it because you're here. A lot of the folks out there know that I won't, I don't say it just to say it. I truly think it is good quality stuff and y'all are sleeping on it. If you're not, if you're not looking in and, and using this stuff, man, it is yeah. good quality. So I'd love to talk to you more about that next time you're on, man. Thank you very much. You know, we're, we're definitely aiming for great quality and, and great value. So uh, take a look at us. We'll keep that on the webpage. And if you have any questions, uh, one thing I explain to a lot of just anybody is that I answer 100% of my DMs. Absolutely so, true. Yeah, hit me up, and I'm more than welcome to have a conversation. Well, brother, I appreciate you coming on. Folks, I really appreciate you listening. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Bearded Nerd Podcast, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, whichever platform that you're listening to this podcast. Um, Your subscription, your reviews, especially when they're five-star reviews, really help the channel grow. So please leave your reviews, subscribe to the podcast, Be kind to one another, but as always, folks, keep gaming.